Howdy, howdy. This is Lily from Makecraft Game, and you're listening to Season 3 of Reading Rulebooks. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and check out makecraftgame.com for more content. This season, I accidentally planned a ton of Nitsia games, so I figured why not dive in and do a whole Nitsia season. Today's Nitsia game is Babylonia. So let's get into it. The rebirth of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, above all, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar II, 605-562 BC, was a time of splendor and wealth. This was mainly due to the proliferation of trade routes between the main cities and settlements in the area and the optimal use of the fertile valley between the Tigris and Euphrates River. Components, one board, 32 location tiles, including 19 cities and 13 crop fields, nine ziggurat cards, 120 clan tokens, 30 of each color. Those 30 consist of six merchants, six civil servants, six priests, and 12 farmers, five ziggurat pieces, four stands, four scoring markers, one of each color, and one rulebook. Setup. The setup example can be found on page two of the rulebook. One, place the board in the center of the table. This shows the southeastern region of ancient Mesopotamia with its two main rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. For four players, the whole board is in use. In a three-player game, only the central and southern terrains are used. In a two-player game, only the central and the northern terrain are used. Note, for any number of players, both rivers form part of the playing area, so clan tokens can always be placed on them throughout the game. 2. Place a ziggurat on each hexagon outlined in blue. Next, mix the cities and crop fields face down and place a tile face up randomly on each hexagon outlined in green. For a four-player game, use all ziggurats and all location tiles. For a three-player game, remove one ziggurat one city with a civil servant symbol, one city with the priest symbol, one city with the merchant's symbol, three crop fields with a purple square inside of a hex. For a two-player game, remove all of the tokens as in the three-player game, and then remove one ziggurat, one city with the merchant, civil servant, and priest symbol, one city with the merchant and priest symbol, one city with the merchant and civil servant symbol, one city with a civil servant and priest symbol, one crop field tile with a purple square inside of a hex, one crop field tile with the number five printed on it, one crop field tile with the number six printed on it, and one crop field tile with the number seven printed on it. Three, display ziggurat cards numbers one through seven at the side of the board. Card 8 and 9 are only used in the game variant. 4. Each player takes the stand, the clan tokens, and the scoring marker of a single color. Each player mixes their clan tokens face down on the table, thus forming their personal reserve. Each player draws 5 tokens and places them on their stand. Finally, each player places their scoring marker on the zero space of the scoring track. Note. Unused stands, markers, and tokens are removed from the game. Summary and Objective In Babylonia, you will try to make your clan prosper under the peaceful and imperial rule of the era. 
you must place your nobles on the map to make your relationships with the cities as profitable as possible. Placing your tokens wisely next to the ziggurats will permit you to get the special power of the rulers. Finally, the good use of your farmers in fertile areas will add value to your crop fields. The player who obtains the most points using these actions wisely will be the winner of the game. Playing. The starter player is chosen at random, and they start the game. Each player plays their entire turn before the turn passes clockwise to the next player. On your turn, you must 1. Play clan tokens from your stand, 2. Score cities and ziggurats that have been surrounded, 3. Fill your stand to 5 tokens. 1. Play clan tokens from your stand. You have two options. A. Play any two clan tokens, nobles and or farmers. Or B. Play three or more farmers, i.e. no nobles. A clan token can be placed in any free hexagon on the board. A hexagon is considered free when it does not contain any clan tokens or location tiles or ziggurats. Example, on his turn, Adam can play any two clan tokens or any three or more farmers. Special rules when playing clan tokens. First round. In the first round, the first player can only play one clan token and the second player can only play two. Rivers. In the rivers, the clan tokens must be placed face down. If you choose to play option A, play any two clan tokens, you can place one or both tokens in any river hexagon. If you choose to play option B, play three or more farmers, you cannot place any of them in the river. Continued example. Adam decides to play any two clan tokens, placing one of them, a farmer, face down in the river. Ziggurats. Each time you place a clan token next to a ziggurat, even if the hexagon is in the river, or even if you already have a token next to that ziggurat, after placing your token, you receive one point for each ziggurat, which has at least one of your tokens next to it. Continued example. Adam places a civil servant next to the ziggurat and receives three points as there are three ziggurats with his tokens next to them. Crop fields. To place a farmer token in a crop field, you need to already have another one of your clan tokens, a noble and or a farmer, next to that crop field. The crop field is scored and subsequently removed from the game. Your token will take its place. If the crop field has a number on it, you receive the points indicated. If the crop field shows a city symbol, you get as many points as there are cities in front of all the players. Continued example. Adam places a farmer in a crop field of value 6. He scores 6 points. He places another farmer in a crop field the city symbol, for which he receives five points as there are five cities in total in front of the players. 2. Score cities and ziggurats that have been surrounded. After finishing playing your clan tokens, you must score the cities and ziggurats that have been surrounded on your turn. If there are several cities and or ziggurats surrounded, you can decide in which order to score them. Scoring cities that have been surrounded. A city is scored when all the land hexagons next to it are occupied with clan tokens of any player. If the city is next to a river, 
it is not necessary to occupy the river hexagons in order to score it. But if those hexagons are occupied, the clan tokens placed there are counted too. A surrounded city is scored in two steps. Nobles, civil servants, merchants, priests. The city will have one, two, or three symbols. City servants, merchants, and or priests. Each player receives two points for each of their clan tokens that have the same symbol and that is next to the city or that is connected to the city via their own tokens. The clan tokens placed in the rivers count for connection purposes, but they do not provide any points as they are face down. Continued example. Adam places his merchant next to the city with a merchant and pre-symbol. The city is now surrounded by land. The nobles score as follows. Adam gets 12 points for the three merchants and three priests that he has to or connected to the city. And Valentina gets six points for the merchant and the two priests that she has next to or connected to the city. If the connected cities were surrounded later in the game, all of Adam's merchants and priests would score again. B. The city. The player with the most clan tokens next to the city, including those placed in the river, wins the city tile and places it face up in front of them. In the case of a tie, the city tile is discarded. Each time a player wins a city tile, and after placing it in front of them, all players receive as many points as the number of cities they have in front of them at that time. If the tile is discarded because of a tie, no one receives any points. Continued example. Adam wins the city tile. Now he has four city tiles in front of him. Nora has three, and Valentina has two. Therefore, they receive four, three, and two points, respectively. Note, after removing a city tile, the empty hexagon is now available so that any clan token can be placed there. Scoring ziggurats that have been surrounded. A ziggurat is scored when all the land hexagons next to it are occupied with clan tokens of any player. Like the cities, if the ziggurat is next to a river, the river hexagons do not need to be occupied in order to score it. But if those hexagons were occupied, the clan tokens placed there are also counted. The player with the most clan tokens next to the ziggurat, including those placed in the river, chooses one of the available ziggurat cards and places it in front of them. In case of a tie, no player gets a ziggurat card, but none of them are discarded either. The ziggurats remain in the same place on the board throughout the game. Example, all the land hexagons that surround the ziggurat are occupied, and it is therefore scored. Adam has three tokens next to the ziggurat, Nora has two, and Valentina has one. Therefore, Adam can choose one of the available ziggurat cards. The ziggurat stays where it is. 3. Fill your stand to five tokens. Once you have finished scoring the surrounded cities and surrounding ziggurats, if any, you must draw clan tokens from your personal reserve to fill up your stand so that it has five tokens again. If your reserve has been exhausted, continue playing with the tokens that you have left on your stand. End of the game. The game ends immediately when at the end of a player's turn, that player no longer has any clan tokens on their stand, 
or only one city or no cities remain on the board. The player who has the most points is the winner. In the case of a tie, of those players who have tied, the one who has the most cities in front of them wins. If the tie persists, the tied players share the victory. Game Variant After playing several games, players can agree to use the following variant. Setup Step 3. Choose 7 of the 9 ziggurat cards at random and display them at the side of the board. Remove the remaining 2 cards from the game. Ziggurat Cards After winning a ziggurat, choose one of the available ziggurat cards and place it face up in front of you. You can have more than one card at any one time and combine their effects. The infinity symbol reflects a permanent effect, the times one symbol is a one-time effect. 1. Receive 10 points immediately. Next, turn the card face down. You cannot use it any longer. 2. Play an additional turn at the end of one of your turns, that is, after refilling your stand. Next, turn the card face down. You cannot use it any longer. 3. From now on, you can have 7 clan tokens on your stand instead of 5. 4. From now on, you can play exactly three different nobles face up, a priest, a merchant, and a civil servant, instead of any two clan tokens. 5. From now on, you can also play a noble face up when you play three or more farmers. 6. From now on, you can place the noble in the crop fields, even without having one of your clan tokens next to those crop fields. 7. From now on, when the cities are scored, you will receive one additional point for every two cities that you have in front of you. 8. From now on, all the free land hexagons of the central area between the two rivers serve to connect your clan tokens. 9. From now on, all the free river hexagons serve to connect your clan tokens. And that is the rulebook for Babylonia. All right, so first, before we look at the game, I'm going to look just at the rulebook. The rulebook was pretty well laid out, did rely pretty heavily on the symbols, which makes it kind of difficult to translate into a podcast, but that's more my problem than the rulebook's problem. The one thing I found confusing was the crop fields section under play clan tokens from your stand. When you place it in the crop field, it's scored, which makes sense. And it says, if the crop fields show a city symbol, you get as many points as there are cities in front of all the players. This was a little confusing this early in the game, uh, in the rulebook, because it wasn't established at this point that cities are removed from the board and put in front of the players in their playing area. So really, it should say that you get as many points as there are cities between all the players' play areas. That's a lot less eloquently said, but I'm sure there's a way to polish that. It became clearer when we looked at scoring for the cities themselves. But when I first read that sentence, I was a little confused and hoped that it would get explained later on in the book. And it did. That was really my only complaint about the rulebook. Otherwise, it's pretty simple. It's fairly short. So it's a game you can pretty quickly get into once you start. Once you've got the setup and you've got some basic knowledge about it. Now, for me, I'm very curious to see 
I haven't actually played Babylonia, um, but I've watched it played before, and I, I have a very good feel for it, I think. And I'm very curious to see the strategies that come from the game. Based on the fact that you gain points from not only the adjacent to the ziggurats and cities, but also the connecting the tiles like in a connected line, I feel like that very much encourages encourages players to kind of stay in an area or like clump up or cluster or basically build one giant line instead of going back and forth. But that's what the cities, the ziggurats encourage you to put one at each of them because then you can keep scoring points whenever you put one on more before they get filled up. I do also find it really fascinating that when a city is removed from the board, you can actually fill in that slot. That's pretty different. I was told this is the spiritual sister to Samurai, which is why I wanted to do it next. And I definitely agree with that statement. It feels very Samurai-esque. Um, with the only really big difference being that chain mechanic, which I think causes the game to have a larger number of points than a game like Samurai would have. There's a lot of opportunities for scoring and every action, whether it's surrounding, whether it's placing next to a ziggurat, placing in a crop field, or scoring the cities and ziggurats that have been surrounded, there's a lot of points to get there, especially considering how nobles cost two points per noble connected to that city. And the fields themselves can offer some pretty high points. I think the highest point value we saw in the rulebook was seven, which is still a lot. A seven point, seven points for one tile lay is honestly quite impressive. Now, the one thing about this game that I am very curious about, I think, would be the ziggurat cards. The first two are pretty interesting. I mean, receiving 10 points, pretty great. I don't think anyone's going to argue about getting 10 points. Getting an additional turn, again, another good advantage. The permanent effects are a little more interesting and their impact on the game aren't exactly obvious to me. So you have seven tokens instead of five. Having more options is always, well, typically always a good thing. Then cards four and five allow you to play more tokens with the base two action with like the standard two actions when you're playing clan tokens from your stand. And the game ends when one player gets rid of all of their tokens. So getting rid of them faster could give you an advantage because it means all of your pieces are out before the other players. And I'm wondering how big of an advantage that truly is because I know in other games that require one person to be out of pieces, getting all of your pieces out first typically gives you that winning edge. Card six is fascinating to me. So to play on crop fields, you need to have an a token adjacent to the crop field. Um, and card six bypasses this. So you can just grab up those points. Now, by the time you get this card, maybe a lot of the crop fields are gone. So it might be more game dependent, but could be a very potentially good investment. And then card seven, just more points, more points, more points. Eight and nine are really interesting. Eight and nine are the variant cards, which um, are not in the base game. 
but they allow you to treat free land hexes or river hexes as if they were your own. So anything that's empty, you consider yours until it's filled. Which could be really advantageous when it comes to connecting your pieces. It allows a lot more freedom as well, because now when you're placing maybe across the board, as long as you can connect it by land or by a river, you're still gaining those points. And so it might take away that limitation earlier of that I kind of, well, that I believe the game has where you want to kind of play in one area to keep that chain connection up. Just by looking at these cards, I can't tell which ones are the best. I would lean to think that cards four and five are because again, I think placing more pieces down is always going to be more powerful, but I could be wrong. I do find the variant very interesting as it gives some randomness to set up and then allows for each game to really be different by removing two cards, potentially removing the two strongest, potentially removing things that are impactful or not impactful. I don't know. I do think all of these cards have the ability to impact the game in in a fairly major way. And it does depend on the order in which you're able to get them. Which leaves the question of how important are ziggurats over scoring points with cities. And that's a balance you have to find out in this game to get the best position. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to check out MCG on other social media platforms or go to makecraftgame.com for more content. And I hope you enjoy playing the game.